Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. Today, I'm going to tackle a listener question that's taken me a lot of time to work through so that I could get to cover the topic the way I want to, the way you've come to expect from Photo Taco. I hope I don't disappoint. This episode may take a little longer than normal. I'm trying to do whatever I can to compress it. Uh, I've recorded the episode numerous times now trying to cut out some of the material and there's just a lot to cover. So it may be a little longer than normal. I hope that's okay with you. The question today that I'm going to tackle came from improved photography writer Aaron Taylor. I think he's also been on the Portrait Session podcast. Anyway, Aaron said, here's a photo taco episode if there ever was one. AF micro adjust slash fine tune. Why do it? When to do it? How important is it? Is it an obsessive thing or is it actually necessary? Do you use a lens cal device or something similar you print yourself? And he asked this question because he got a brand new camera. It had the feature. And when he went and shot with the camera, even though the subject was still and he thought he had pretty good technique, he wasn't focusing and recomposing. He felt like he got some soft focus. And he wondered, well, I know my camera has this new feature or this feature in my new camera, I should say. Should I use it or am I going to make things worse by trying to do it? So I'm finally ready to try to walk through your question, Aaron. Um, he's, he asked this almost a year ago, back in May 2016. And so knowing Aaron, he's probably a autofocus micro adjustment guru by this point and doesn't really need my answer. But I figured I would share my own experience with it as I really dove into the feature and uh, what it is all about. And I'm going to walk through what it is and uh, three different methods for setting AFMA values. And that's what the industry kind of has uh, coined as the single phrase. Every camera manufacturer calls this feature a little different thing. But autofocus micro adjustment, AFMA, is the kind of acronym that gets used on this topic. And I've seen it a lot as I've researched quite a bit of time, spent a lot of time researching various articles and blog posts and forum posts uh, from a lot of camera manufacturers and lens manufacturers as I've tried to figure out what all this is. So first off, let's stop, start with that. What is AFMA? It's something that's only needed for DSLR cameras. So that's the very first thing you need to know. If you're a mirrorless shooter, yeah, you don't care about this <laughs> because it doesn't apply to you. And if you're a mirrorless shooter, I would totally understand if you're going to just kind of skip the episode because the rest of the episode, the rest of this content is really going to be only applicable to DSLR shooters. But please come back for the next one. There are two major types of autofocus in DSLR cameras today. One type is called contrast detection and the other is called phase detection and I've done an entire photo taco episode covering that topic along with the different types of focus points in an episode called focus points explained so you can find that by googling photo space taco space focus points explained and I'm sure it'll be one of the very first things that comes up or you can check out the show notes which of course I will provide links to to oversimplify it just kind of briefly walk through it contrast detection autofocus is slower but more accurate and phase detection autofocus is faster but less accurate and when you shoot using live view on your camera which for people just joining the podcast that's the LCD screen that's on the back of your camera. It's called Live View, referred to as Live View. When you shoot that way and you focus that way, you're using contrast detection focus, and AFMA does not apply to that type of autofocus. So Live View, AFMA does not help. It doesn't need it. 
viewfinder when you shoot using the viewfinder which is that little tiny window at the top of your camera that's only big enough for one of your eyes that you know most people shoot with the majority of the time that's on a dslr you're using phase detection autofocus and afma is a process that you can go through to increase the effectiveness of that type of autofocus now notice i didn't say it will make it a hundred percent accurate it won't phase detection autofocus is faster and that comes at the cost of not always being a hundred percent accurate so afma can increase the chances that phase detection autofocus will be right but it still won't make it perfect and one of the big advantages you get with a dslr camera is the ability to see what you're shooting through the lens you're using the light comes in through that lens and it gets directed up to through by mirrors up to the viewfinder where you're looking at that with just your one eye and um and so that you can see what is actually coming through the lens you get the experience like you're looking through the lens so but to do that that means there's a mirror in the way that mirror is blocking the light from hitting the photo sensor in your camera to take a picture have it store on your memory card the picture the photons that hit that that photo sensor that mirrors in the way while you're in viewfinder mode until you press the shutter button when you do then that mirror flips up out of the way the light goes through the aperture and the, the curtain and hit, finally hits the photo sensor and so that that's what's happening as you do that obviously we want focus to work then while that mirror is down that means you can't use the sensor to do the focusing that means you have to send the information the light the scene you have to be able to do, send it off to something else and there's another sensor in the camera that's responsible for that it's the face detection autofocus sensor and while you're using the viewfinder while that mirror is down in the way of the photo sensor in the camera the information the light is getting sent to that photo sensor so that uh, it can do the autofocus and so it's the one responsible for telling the lens how it needs to change in order to achieve focus where your focus point is at and since it is different than the photo sensor on the camera they can be out of sync just a little bit it's that's why it's called micro adjustments because this we're talking about really small small changes here and AFMA is the process then to try to get those two things more in sync with each other. Just to complicate things a little bit further, you can actually kind of have some minor, really tiny defects in the lens too. When that sensor says, hey lens, I need you to move the optics to a specific spot, which is why it's so fast because it can tell the lens exactly where to move to. Their little defects in the lens can mean it doesn't end up moving those optics to exactly the right spot. And because of that, it can be off a little bit too. So together, these things can all be just tiny bit out of sync enough that if you're using a really wide open aperture, which is a very small numbered aperture, then that depth of field being narrow, it can end up not having what you put the focus point on being in focus when you take the picture. And AFMA is a process to kind of get all those things in sync. But it means that AFMA has to be done to the specific camera and lens. <clears throat> so even if you have a, a two of the same lenses and you, you go through this process, you're going to get two different AFMA results. If you go through two different two of the same camera bodies, but there are two of them, with one lens, you're going to get different AFMA results. It's very specific to the lens and the body. So just keep that in mind. As you have multiple lenses, you're going to need to do this process with each one of them. You don't just go through it once and set an AFMA value and have that work across everything. You also can't just do it like 
in general, the Canon 7D Mark II needs this value. It doesn't work like that. They're very, it's very specific to the lens and the camera that you have. All right, how do you know if you need to do AFMA on a given lens and camera? If your focusing technique is really good, if you're really experienced, you can kind of tell as you go out and shoot with it. And that might be a very practical approach for very experienced photographers. Get a brand new lens or get a brand new camera. You go out and you, and you do something on your own, some kind of uh, you know small depth of field shoot, maybe with flowers or whatever it might be. Some some portraits if you want to just you know get your your wife or your spouse or somebody out there and take pictures. Whatever it is, you could you could try doing it that way. But for the rest of us, <laughs> because we can't be quite so sure that it's it's our it's the camera or the equipment versus our technique, which is what Aaron kind of had the question about. He thought it might be his technique too. Then you have a different way you can do this and a, a bit more structured. And I admit setting up the structure to do this, you may as well just do AFMA process itself. Uh, it's probably just as easy, but you, you want to get kind of a controlled environment and then compare the focus between those two things. You have that contrast detection focus is slower, but it's more accurate versus the phase detection. So you could take one photo of something where you have a small depth of field and you can tell that it's where it's focused and you could then take another picture. So you do that with, with live view to get the contrast detection and then you go the through the viewfinder and get phase detection and be able to compare the two. That would be a way to tell. You can see if it's off. You probably need to do more than one of each kind just so that you don't have an uh, an anomaly happen where the focus kind of looked right and then maybe it looked a little bit off. So taking a, a few of each kind of shot just to compare them all and see, then you can tell if your focus is off and you'll need to do it. But if you're set up that way, you may as well just do the process. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second to see what we can do. We're going to go through three methods that you can use to get your AFMA number and what it is that you need to do and talk about what an AFMA number is. But first, got to thank the sponsor for this episode, which is Improve Photography Plus. As a subscriber to Improve Photography Plus, you get unlimited access to everything Improve Photography has ever created, including a lot of video training, Lightroom presets, access to many of the hosts on the Improve Photography Podcast Network, and the incredible Sandy DeRoe just published an awesome product photography video training course in April 2017. It's uh, kind of like product photography 101. And if you, even if you don't think you're ever going to do product photography, I always encourage everyone to learn different techniques as a way to improve your photography, whatever you're shooting. I've watched Sandy's video training. It really opened up my eyes to a few new things I had never thought of and never done with my camera. It's only $19.95 a month to subscribe, and you can start your free trial today by heading over to improvephotographyplus.com. All right, so let's go over the specifics of three different methods you can use to do AFMA. First, you got to see if your camera even supports it. That's right, not every DSLR can do AFMA. The manufacturers, in their infinite wisdom, <laughs> they've decided not everyone needs this. And okay, to be fair, you could do as much harm as you could do good in going through this process. If you went through it and you tried stuff without knowing what you're doing, you can make the autofocus even worse than it is whatever it's set up. That said, every DSLR can have problems with this and can mean that you can have soft focus even though you are doing the technique perfectly this can just add enough variability to it to make it so that you just really can't nail it consistently. And some DSLRs can't do it. So the best way to find out if they can or not, go to Google, search for your camera body and that term AFMA. Even though it may be called something different on your camera, you'll probably find the information that you need to see if your camera supports that feature or not. 
if it's a more expensive line of camera, you're going to have it. That's kind of the general rule of thumb. The pro line for sure. The top of the consumer lines most likely. So my 7D Mark II is the top of the consumer line on the Canon world. And it uh, it has it. So it just depends. They decide to do it or not. I don't even know if there's any rhyme or reason to it. If your camera doesn't support it, it's not a feature that's available in the menu options of your camera, then you can check into seeing if there's a, a place you can send both the camera and the lens to get it kind of professionally done. And they'll use more of a mechanical process, is my understanding. I tried to find some research on this and see kind of who offers it, how much it might be roughly, and I was not able to find any really good uh, results on that. I saw lots of people with different experiences and lots of different price points discussed. And it might matter based on warranty and how long you've had either the camera or the lens, but check both the manufacturer of the camera and the manufacturer of the lens to see if it's a service they have, if it's just going to be shipping, if it's within warranty, or if you might have to pay a service fee to, whatever it is. If you're really worried about this being a problem with your DSLR and you really want to see if you can improve it and you don't want to buy a new camera to get the feature, then you can check that out. There's also some um, some lenses support being able to put like a USB uh, dock on the lens and being able to make some adjustments. So that's another way you could look into. We're not going to talk about that today. So we're going to go forward assuming your camera has the ability to, to dial in an AFMA setting. And uh, I'm not going to go through specific camera settings to do that, but we are going to talk about the process. And the first thing is, even though there's three processes I'm going to talk about, they all have a very similar setup. And so we're going to go through this 11-point setup of how it is you need to be ready to use your camera to do this kind of testing so that you can find an AFMA value to set on your camera. So number one, I'm going to just rip through these really fast. If you, They're going to be in the show notes, so go check out the show notes if you'd like to see the list. Number one, shoot an aperture priority. You can probably do it in manual in some cameras, and I've even seen some people suggest doing that for some of these methods as you to set them up. But I think uh, if you put it in aperture priority, that's just a little bit less to worry about. And, uh, and I, I recommend you do that. Number two, set your aperture to the very widest setting possible, which of course means the very smallest number. It's that inverse relationship. It's really kind of a tough concept if you don't understand aperture very well, but it means the smallest number like f2.8, f1.8, f1.4. If your lens doesn't go any wider than about f5.6, meaning no numbers lower than f5.6, you probably don't even need to do FMA overall because uh, the depth of field that you're going to get with your camera set to that kind of an aperture is not narrow enough for it to really be a gigantic problem. You're probably going to be getting pretty decent focus uh, with either focusing method when you have uh, an aperture of 5.6 or, or smaller, which is a bigger number, you know, inverse relationship. Number three, set ISO to 100. You need to get images as clean as possible for this, and so you don't want to increase the ISO. Number four, set the, fo the focus point to use the single center focus point. Now again, some cameras you could get away with other modes, but just to make a generic instructions and make it so that it's uh, you, you can have assurance that you're gonna have the most accuracy, it's best to just set it the single center focus point of your camera and then you're, if it's going to work pretty reliably. Number five, set your focus mode to single shot or on uh, on Canon or on Nikon, it's AFS. Again, it's a setting to get the most accuracy out of that phase detection autofocus that you're testing. Number six, turn off image stabilization. If it's available in the lens, we want it off. We don't want that potential to be there to cause some kind of problem with the image quality. 
We want to test the autofocus. We're not testing image stabilization, so you turn it off. Number seven, and this one ended up being a huge, huge factor in my testing, a good amount of light. Phase detection autofocus is most accurate with plenty of light, and it's better to do either AFMA outdoors or add plan on adding a whole lot of artificial light indoors. More than you'd expect is going to be my recommendation. That's what I found. I needed more light than I thought. Number eight, use a tripod. We're gonna be comparing images to each other or the software may be comparing images to each other. And you want to make sure that you can uh, keep the camera in exactly the same spot for multiple exposures or multiple fo focus tries. So using a tripod, essential. The camera needs to be, on number nine, the camera needs to be as level with the target as you can make it. So you don't wanna have the target significantly above or below. Even though you could get that focus point kind of put right on the middle of it, even if it was above or below, you want it to be as straight on, at 90 degree angle to the camera as you can get it. That's where your focus point needs to be on your target. All right, number 10, the camera needs to be a very specific distance from the target. As a general rule of thumb, you can multiply the focal length of your lens by 50. So as an example, focal length of 24 millimeters, if you uh, multiply that by 50, you get 1200 millimeters, which is about 1.2 meters, obviously, or for us Americans, roughly four feet, okay? So that gives you a general rule of thumb. It gets you close enough and you can, you can go by that and, and be pretty successful. There's a few online calculators though that can give you more precise measurements. I'll put some links to them in the show notes or you can search for something like uh, AFMA calculator and you'll probably find some of those. The last one I didn't find to be as critical but I saw it recommended a lot. So uh, if you've done AFMA previously, you need to set it back to zero when you get started. I didn't think that was that big a deal but I'm sure it's best practice. All right, so with that, those are the 11 steps. You can see we have to set up a really controlled environment for doing this testing. We gotta remove all the other variables and make it so that the only thing we're messing around with is the autofocus, the phase detection autofocus. So I'm gonna go through three processes. Once your camera is set up the way that I just described, there's three different ways then that you can do this process to arrive at how you wanna set the AFMA value. So the first process I'm gonna go through is kind of the most manual and to me was the most subjective. It means that I had to be a judge on sharpness and I didn't feel like I was very good at it. So this method I didn't prefer. It's, it's like my third place option of the three, but I saw lots of people swear by it, saying that it is by far the most consistent way to do this. And I'll get to the consistent results or the, the most uh, accurate results at the very end. I'll compare all three to tell you what I think about that. Um, you can do this completely for free. We're going to call this first method the ruler method. You can do it completely with for free by setting up a ruler, or I saw lots of people that did this with a tape measure. And the trick is you got to get that tape measure set up or the ruler set up at a 45 degree angle, or it doesn't have to be exactly 45, but at a pretty good angle so that you, you can see exactly where on that ruler the depth of field or the sharpness happens. And it's much easier though to get a target. <laughs> I paid for a target. I, I bought this Spender, Spider Lens Cal target for $65 on Amazon. There's uh, that's $65 US. There's also a Lens Align Mark II that's $85. Both of those seem to be kind of the leading targets. There's others, there's plenty. If you go on Amazon, you can search and find a lot of, of options for this. But those two were the two I saw most often referenced as I was researching this. 
And so I checked out the cheaper of the two, the, the less expensive of the two in the spider lens cow. And I'll put links to the show notes in them. If you buy either of these targets, if you decide this is the method you want to use, then uh, you can, uh, if you buy the targets through links, then you'll be supporting the show. doesn't cost you anything extra, but it supports the show. When you need a, a ruler set up at that angle, then you're setting everything as I listed in that 11 point steps. You got to get everything set up. Then you're going to aim your focus point at the number kind of halfway up the ruler. Those paid for targets, they have a, a zero right there. Right at the middle of the ruler, they have a zero. And they've got it pre-set up at 45 degree angle. It's beautiful. And then you do a really simple thing. You just set your focus point, the single center focus point of your camera, right on that zero or right in the middle number of the ruler or, or tape measure and you take a shot and then you look on the LCD screen and you zoom in so that you can see where was it that the sharpest point is on that ruler. Is it right where you put it at the focus point where the zero is or did it maybe go in front of it which is called front focusing or did it go behind it which is back focusing. And if it looks like one of those was different, you might want to take three, four, I don't know, I did 10 shots myself just to make sure I really, really uh, exercised that autofocus. And in between each shot, I spun the focus ring to make sure that autofocus had to do its job fully. I didn't want to just focus, take a shot, focus, take a shot, because then the autofocus was too close already. It, it may not even decide to change anything. I wanted to make it work. So in between each shot, I moved the focus ring and then made sure that it did its job. And I did 10 of them just to make sure that I, I got, I could see kind of most consistently how was the focus ending up. And mine was doing some front, front focusing for sure. And so then you go into the camera menus and this is where you're going to have to look specific to your camera body and I could dial in the, the AM, AFMA number. So in general, this is how that works. You have a scale of minus 20 to plus 20. So you can increase or decrease where kind of a, a micro focus adjustment. Mine was front focusing by a little bit. It wasn't at the zero, it was in front of it, which means I needed to dial in some positive AFMA values. I needed to, to move the focus away from the camera, which is positive AFMA. So I started with five. I had read in a lot of stuff online that it's really hard to do like an increment of one or two to really even see a big difference. So jumping by five was a good way to get started and narrow in on where you wanna be. So I dialed in plus five more, and sure enough, that got it a lot closer. Well, made it, it made it move closer than, than it was. And I'd same process, after I dialed in the plus five of AFMA on the, in the camera menus and, and I refocused and I took the shots, I did 10 of them again, then I could tell, yep, it's closer, but it's still not there. And I had to keep going and I got to, uh, I'm not gonna share the value yet because I want that to be at the end. But um, that's kind of the process. You, you dial in some AFMA on that scale through the camera menus, reshoot, redo the focus, and see when you finally narrow in on where it is that you have the focus match where the focus point was all through the viewfinder as you're doing it. So that's the ruler method. That's the first one. I already said I didn't like this approach as much as others. I'm glad I had the targets that made it much easier to do this. And I, I'm glad I have the ability to compare the two, the three processes that I'm going to have. And I'm going to keep doing that for a little while until I can get more data and see which one ends up being more accurate. But for now... Um, it's my least favorite of all the approaches. Okay, the second method I wanna talk about, I'm gonna call software calibrated. 
Again, multiple software programs that you can do this. Um, the, the one There was one that seemed by far the most popular out there, and that is called Focal, F-O-C-A-L, from Riken, R-E-I-K-E-N. There's a plus version that's priced at 40 British pounds, which came out to about $50 US as I record this episode here in April 2017. And there's a pro version priced at about 70 pounds, about $90 US. And there's a lot of functional differences between plus and pro. You're going to go look up what they are. I'm not going to go through that here just to save time. But the AFMA process is pretty much identical between the two. Both of them support either automated or semi-automated. And I'll explain why there's two different kinds in just a moment, but uh, either of them can do it. There's some of the differences. You can keep history. And, okay, I'm not going to go through all the differences, but you can decide if you want to pay the extra money to get the additional features that are there. You're going to want to, before you buy the software, if this is the method you want to use for AFMA, you're going to want to go check the site. They have a very good site that explains exactly what cameras are supported and how well they're supported by this software. Focal is very subject to what the camera makers allow them to do with the camera. They're going to tether your camera to your computer and through the USB are going to try to control it. And they can only control what the camera manufacturer lets them control. And that's not the same. Not even on the same, like uh, among the Canon bodies, it's not all the same. Canon has, again, their infinite wisdom decided what it is they're going to let the computer be able to control when it's connected via USB and what it's not. My can, my camera, so automated versus semi-automated, my Canon 70 Mark II camera has this feature, and uh, it but it was only supported in a semi-automated mode, which can be different. It doesn't mean uh, it's not the same. Semi-auto from Focal can be different, again, very depending on what the camera manufacturer will let them do. For me, what it meant was, I had to manually go into the menus to set the AMFA value, AFMA values to what it was telling me. So it could do the rest of it. It could set the focus. It could change the focus out to infinity and back to focus. And it does a really good job. It takes pictures and it's sending them back and analyzing the photos. So it took some of the subjectivity out of it compared to the ruler method where I had to judge what was sharper or, or when, when my focus point was being sharp. Now this software was doing it based on the target. Oh, by the way, the target is something that they provide with the software. It's a PDF document that you can print. Works great, works beautifully. Just to print it on my normal inkjet printer, not anything super high resolution or anything either. It's not even a photo printer. It's just a normal desk jet inkjet printer. And, um, and uh, so I printed the target and used it and it worked beautifully as long as I had enough light. And that was kind of a very key thing was the light. So Focal could do that. It could do everything except right up to the point of I needing to change or try an, an AFMA value. And at that point, then a voice prompt would come up. The software would say, go set AFMA to plus 10. And I'd have to go in the menus. I'd set it to plus 10, get out of the menus, and then just hit enter on the keyboard of the computer. And it would move on and do some more testing. And it could validate that I set the AFMA correctly, but it couldn't, Canon wouldn't let them set the value through the computer. So kind of crazy. It's not that way with all cameras. Some cameras, it can be fully automated. The camera manufacturer allows Focal to control everything they need in order to do this, and it becomes fully automated. So that's uh, that's how it was. Now, my experience with the light, I this is one of the areas where I struggled 
at first when I was running through this, I had some really erratic results with Focal. Uh, I got an AFA, AFMA value of uh, plus 13 and then plus three and then plus 20. And this is after, you know, several minutes of testing each time it arrived at these values. And then I just decided, well, I'm just going to run it again. I want to see if I can get the same result over and over and over. And I couldn't initially. And then I, I realized that as I was going through the target setup, which is a process the software supports, it was warning me I don't have a lot of light on the target. My target is on a wall. It was parallel to the camera. I had everything else set up and it was really good there, but it, it had this information warning saying, yeah, you're just, it's a little bit low light. So you might not have consistent results. So I decided, okay, I got to get more light on this. I already had quite a bit, but I got more light on this. I wasn't outdoors. I was indoors. So I added some more light and then I got consistent results. So that's something that to watch out for. And across all of these, that's going to be important. You need plenty of light so that you make sure you've got some very sharp targets, as sharp as you can get, and be able to compare them to each other. We want to give that autofocus the best possible chance to succeed. Okay, the last method I tested on my quest to figure out AFMA was invented by Fred Miranda, who I just have to get a lot of props to. He really thought outside the box with this, and it's kind of amazing. There's a lot of people who are swearing by this method, and we'll, I'll tell you what my determination is on the accuracy. But he calls it the dot tune method. And you can go find this. I really recommend you do. I'm going to describe it really quick, but it may not make a whole lot of sense. It's going to be better if you go check out his forum post where he describes the process. He has a very good YouTube video where he walks through it in a lot of detail. And that's going to help you make a lot more sense of how this works. Um, he also has a link to a free target that you can print. So it's a PDF that you can download and print it. And I used it for this approach and I liked it as much as I did the other two targets I used. So the, the target I paid $65 for versus the target that came with Focal Software, I didn't see any material difference for the targets that I'm shooting. So that was part of Aaron's question. And I think that the free target is just fine for this method. I couldn't really leverage that target for the other two. So you can't really compare target quality because they work differently. So the target is, is different. You need a ruler target on that first method. And this is not a ruler target. And then the second method, Focal is expecting a specific target in the software as it's comparing the images. So you need to have that specific target and they're not interchangeable. So I can't really give you a, a good analysis of the target quality, but it worked fine for this specific dot tune method for AFMA. All right, so the general concept here is leveraging a feature I really hadn't noticed <laughs> in your cameras in the DSLR. And that is, as you are focusing, um, if you flip your camera into manual focus, the not the camera, the lens, some cameras do support an on-camera switch there, but I meant the lens. When If you switch the lens to manual focus, the autofocus system in your DSLR still operates. It just won't communicate to the lens and tell the lens to change anything because you switched it to manual. So what they did to try to give you some visual indicators here, there's a focus confirmation light that comes on when you have your lens in manual focus or if you use a just totally manual focus lens. You get this light in the viewfinder and I hadn't noticed it because I shoot autofocus almost all the time. I hadn't really noticed that it is there, but it's true. It's it, when, when you switch it to manual focus and you press the shutter halfway down or you hit the AF on button or you're using back button focus, whatever it is, you engage the autofocus system of your camera. Then you get a light in the viewfinder that tells you if your camera believes that the focus point 
that you've defined while looking through that lens if the scene is in focus underneath your focus point. This light comes on. On Canon, it's a, a little round yellow light that comes on. And if it stays on solid for several seconds, that means it thinks that you're in focus. If it kind of blips in and out, it's blinking a little bit, maybe very erratically blinking, then it's struggling to, to determine if you're in focus. And if the light doesn't come on at all, you're definitely out of focus according to the sensor in the camera. And so his idea was to leverage that and figure out how to, so that you could compare the phase detection autofocus in the viewfinder to the contrast detection autofocus in the live view. Really ingenious approach. And Nikon has a very similar light. It's a green uh, circle. And it, it, but the difference would be that it has arrows left or right. And it's trying to instruct you about how the focus is out of position. If the arrows come on, the left or right arrows are there, accompanied with the light, then you're slightly out of focus. If it doesn't come on at all, you're totally out of focus. So it's really easy to tell. He has good examples in his video about what to look for and what this means. And so his idea though is let's just compare contrast detection focus to phase detection and use that confirmation light to determine when the camera no longer thinks or when that, that phase detection autofocus sensor inside your camera doesn't agree that it's in focus. Okay, so the, the general setup is you take one, you don't have to take a shot. I keep saying that, but you don't have to take a shot. You just engage autofocus using live view. So you're in live view, you just hit autofocus and get the camera to set focus. And then you, you gotta be super careful not to move the camera or hit the focus ring on the lens and switch it to manual. So you start off with the lens and autofocus, you switch it to manual after you have used live view to get focus. And then you push the shutter button halfway down, looking through the viewfinder, you push the shutter halfway down and see if you get the focus confirmation light to come on. If it comes on, then that means that value, and we're gonna say you started at AFMA of zero, that means that that value is in agreement. That means that the, fo the focus sensor in the camera agrees that, yep, you are in focus. And that's good. That means it's a zero value is a valid value that you could set it to, but we don't know if that's the optimal value yet. We gotta find the edges. We gotta find where it is that it doesn't agree anymore. We know that the, the scene is actually in perfect focus because contrast detection set it there. But now we gotta see at what point, with what AFMA value, does that phase detection autofocus not believe it's in focus? So you start, and I, I'd say you start by plus five, all right? Uh, going one at a time, you can do that. It's not gonna hurt anything, but it's slow. <laughs> a one point change, uh, like zero to one, is not a huge, huge change. So I'd go by five. And so I, I did it and I went to plus five and I test and I, I could see, yep, it agrees. The light came on, it stayed on good on my Canon camera. And then I went to plus 10 and just jumped another five. Yep, it agreed. Plus 15, yep, it agreed. Plus 20, all the way to the edge, nope. It did not come on anymore, no light at all. So then I backed off from the plus 20 and I got at plus 17, I still got it just faintly. Um, well, no, sorry, at plus 17, it was still on solid, but at plus 18, it kind of was blinking in and out. So I was like, okay, that's on the edge. I don't want that to be part of the valid range. 
All right, so I know zero to plus 17, that focus sensor agrees that, that with the contrast detection sensor that things are in focus. And then I went back into the minus and I went minus five, nope, no confirmation light. So that means minus five is out. I know that's not good. And I backed it up and slowly went to where minus one was in the range. At minus one, I still got the confirmation light on solid. At minus two, it was blinky. And at, at out of five by five, it was definitely gone. So I knew my range was minus one to plus 17, that in that range of those AFMA values, the autofocus agreed with contrast detection autofocus. Now his point, Fred's thing that I just give him total props for is, it should be then that the middle point on between those two ends of that range is the most, the best setting, the optimal setting for your AFMA. Then you have some room. If stuff doesn't quite line up correctly, if you have some inaccuracy, because we know that phase detection can be inaccurate, you have some room for it to be a little less accurate and still get pretty sharp focus. Whereas if I set it at zero, which is kind of what the default setting is, you can tell on my minus one, that was the last spot where it was good. And at plus 17 was where it was still good. That means at minus at zero, where it kind of defaults to, that's just not a very good place to have it be. And you're, you decrease the chance that your autofocus is going to work well. So I hope that makes sense. Going through this video, like I said, is going to be the best way to compare these things. All right. So now let's get to the real question. I obviously preferred dot tune method. I thought it was the simplest to do. I then, and, and a close second is Focal. I'm not to say that that one was a terrible experience by any stretch. I love a software-based approach and I, I like the scientific nature of it. It appealed to my nerdiness a lot, <laughs> but it wasn't quite as easy because I had to tether. So that's the only down points. The, the downside I thought to that method was the tethering. And then the last one was a distant third. I really just didn't like the ruler method and, uh, and trying to shoot that target, mainly because I don't want to have to be the judge on the sharpness. I don't trust myself to see the small tiny differences as I'm trying to dial in. All right, so how do they compare in accuracy? Well, before I tell you that, I, I do want to say I really found that this was beneficial. I saw a lot of benefit from doing this. I was able to get some better consistent sharpness out of one, my lenses than I could without it. So that was a really, really important thing. And I think it's very worthwhile. If you have this feature and you shoot portraits in particular, I think it's worth going through. Even if you don't think that you're getting soft focus, it's worth spending some time and trying this out to see if you might be able to just increase your chances even a little bit more of consistently getting sharp, sharp focus where you set the focus points. All right, accuracy. I ended up at plus nine with dot tune, as I already told you. I ended up at plus 11 on the ruler target method, which was my own thing, right? I started there, I knew I needed to start there. I didn't wanna have any biased results by having either dot tune or uh, Focal tell me what they thought it should be. I wanted to do it all myself before I had any bias and I was off. It just was hard for me to tell. Although two points is not a whole lot. Nine to 11, the difference between those two is pretty minimal. It's almost exactly the same result. All right, and then with Focal, I got plus eight. So really, really super close. So the variance, not enough for the three to be very different. I did this process on multiple lenses. I have four lenses that I could do this on. 
far from scientific and <laughs> there's not enough data points for me able to say, yep, one is more accurate than another or no, they're all generally the same. I found them to be pretty close as I have used them. Okay. So I can't tell you that one is more accurate than another. And I decided, well, I got to go out there and see if anyone else has done this kind of testing. And someone else tested all three of these methods and compared them with a lot more data points than I did and be able to tell, tell me if they're accurate. And I found some people who claimed to have some results on that, but really they were fanboys of a process. I didn't find anyone who had like scientific results. And if someone knows of some scientific results, I'd love to see that where you compare these three methods. Um, I saw some relatively scientific results of a single method trying to argue that there was a great deal of accuracy, but there were fanboys of every process and everyone had claims to saying that their process, the process that they favored is the most accurate process for doing this, which means I can't tell. I don't know if one of these is more accurate than another. I'm willing to go and investigate any other research anyone else may know of, but I, I don't know that anyone is more accurate than another. And really it's going to be at this point then left up to you about, do you want to spend money on this? And uh, do you want to, uh, what process do you prefer? Some people may prefer that ruler process. They may prefer that they're the judge on the sharpness rather than having software do it or relying on some focus confirmation light coming on. They may prefer that. I just didn't. I didn't like that approach as much, but I, I think that's that appeals to some people because they're more in control and in charge of deciding where it's going to be. No matter what method you choose, it's super helpful. All right, the last question then, I don't think I've covered yet that Aaron asked, was how often to do it. And I don't know, because I've only done it recently, I haven't, I don't have any history over time to be able to tell you whether I saw it change over time. But the reading I did said that in general, people did seem to agree that you, you kind of need to do it after an extreme weather condition. So if you were in extreme freezing temperatures, extreme hot temperatures, uh, very wet conditions, then there's potential that things may have changed. And so then it's worth, if nothing else, just validating that you don't need to change it. But if you have time after a shoot like that to go and run through this process, then you may as well do it and just see if anything changed. And even if you don't go through any extreme temperatures, then maybe yearly doing an annual process to check it will be good. Um, it doesn't really hurt to do it more often than that if you want to. I'm, I'm probably going to do it a little bit more often just to get some more information and see if it changes over time. But uh, in general, maybe a year and uh, maybe right after any extreme shooting conditions. All right, that's it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. I'm sorry it went a little bit long. Hopefully you can forgive me and hopefully you found the information helpful. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group. So that's facebook.com slash group slash photo taco through Instagram by messaging at photo taco podcast where you can tag me in photos. Uh, include at photo taco podcast on the on your photos and i'd love to see what you're shooting or through email where the address is photo taco podcast at gmail.com no question too basic or too complicated for the show if i don't know the answer to the question i'll see about bringing an expert guest on the show to go through it and don't forget to check the other podcasts on the improved photography network we have portrait session tripod latitude and of course improve photography also take some time to head over to the mothership improvephotography.com without improvephotography.com we wouldn't have any of this be possible and it's really super articles that are out there every single day jim's really done a great job of getting some staff writers that are awesome producing content for news gear and other photo tip articles it is the best way to improve your photography <laughs>
Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!